Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. chapter number 18. We're continuing with a uh, series that we started last week talking about making sense out of forgiveness. Making sense out of forgiveness. Last week we talked about bitterness and forgiveness which uh, we come to know that bitterness is really just uh, the scriptural word for unforgiveness. So we spoke about unforgiveness and forgiveness uh, last week. Basically how God has forgiven us and the measures that was taken with that and how we should emulate then that for forgiving other people. We didn't really get finished last week. I'll try to pick up just a tidbit of what is left there as we look at that. Uh, but also uh, concerning announcement-wise, also on March 5th is our World Missions Commitment Service that we have each year. And our guest this year will be Pastor Robert Coffey uh, from Portsmouth, Ohio. So he will be here with us morning and night. So two weekends in a row, really. You'll have Brother Pastor Moses one week and the next weekend you'll have Pastor Coffey, amen, here for our World Missions Commitment Service. And so there are just a couple of things to look forward to, amen, in that. We're going to look at Matthew chapter number 18. I'm going to begin with verse number 23. And also, Sister Mason reminded me as she came down from the platform, uh, that uh, Brother Strong, which was, which was a missionary of ours to Ireland, had passed away. And uh, that had happened just this week. And he had had some health issues. And that was the reason why the, the Kuykendalls had come in to fulfill uh, his role in his place. But he did indeed pass away this past week. So we need to remember him and his family. Uh, well, his family, the family of him, rather. And uh, that the Lord would just touch them and minister to them. And all of those works that were in Ireland, too, that had attachment and connection to him as well. No doubt they're feeling the ripples of his loss, amen, just as equally today. So we need to remember them when you pray. Matthew chapter number 18 and verse 23, my reading is a little lengthy, but uh, it's because I'm reading the entire parable here that's in Scripture of what's typically noted as the unforgiving, the unforgiving servant. Jesus is speaking all these words and telling the parable. He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the, that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And we'll look at this here uh, in a little bit of how a vast difference there is between 10,000 talents and a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me, I'm sorry, I'm envisioning this as I read it. Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not 
but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I have had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And this morning, uh, for the second part, I want to call this misgivings of forgiving misgivings of forgiving let's pray today father we need you this morning i pray god that you would touch us afresh and new god as we take another look at your word god concerning the subject matter of forgiveness god we have lord been forgiven the cross of calvary lord you died for the ungodly lord jesus and we're thankful for that which has been granted help us lord be recipients of that lord through repentance and confession but lord help us also to mirror that Help us to mirror that in our self-same lives, God, with others that, Lord, offend us, Lord, or some type of wrong, God, against us. Help us, Lord, to have that type of spirit. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. And everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated uh, this morning. Again, we left off last week speaking about uh, some of the reasons why a Christian, or maybe even better said, why the forgiven uh, should or ought to be forgivers. And in those things that we noted is that whenever we came to the Lord and uh, we repented and we confessed our sins, so to speak, when we did all those things, we, we accepted or we acknowledged that there were some wrongs in our life. We, we, we accepted and acknowledged that, quote unquote, we were not perfect, right? We were undeserving of his grace and his love. And so with that being said and understanding that, then likewise we should also then be able to extend a, a palm branch of peace to each and every other individual because all of us come to the level spot of the cross of having or are imperfect with our own sense of wrongs that we have in our life. And so another thing that we looked at as well concerning the Lord's forgiveness toward us is that in order for all of that to take place, there had to be an intervention on his side, right? We couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't do it by ourselves. We didn't have the ability to do it. That he came in and intervened on our behalf. We talked about how all times whenever you have someone that is offended and someone uh, that was the offender, that typically the case is it is the one that's been offended that has to offer the forgiveness. It seems unfair, it seems imbalanced, but that's exactly how it happened between humanity and the Lord. Our sins, our lives offended the Lord. They were offense to him. But then he is the one that forgave us of those offenses. And so with that in mind, then again, we take that, we transfer that to our interactions with mankind and that all times we got to realize that although you may be the one that's offended and you feel like you've been done wrong, the only way that we're going to go forward in this matter is if you offer forgiveness to whomever it may have been that quote-unquote offended you. But then there is another aspect concerning humanity and the Lord that we need to look at. And, and here's the fact of the matter. And C.S. Lewis, uh, old, old time uh, minister years ago said, he said, forgiveness is a beautiful word 
until you have something to forgive. It's a beautiful word. Man, we just rally around that. Oh, yes, forgiveness. But whenever you have something to forgive, it is not as simple or as easy as it is in, the- as it is in theory. And so uh, we're enamored by the thought of it when, we, when we're the ones that are in need of it. But we might be a little bit more reluctant to practice it when someone needs it from us. When someone needs forgiveness from us. David Seaman said, he said, we read, we hear, we believe good theology of grace. He said, but that's not really typically the way that we live. We sing about, oh, amazing grace. I once was lost and we talk about grace, but sometimes actually practicing grace. That's where the rub comes, isn't it? It's great in theory. And yet the scripture says in Ephesians that grace saved us. Titus tells us that Grace has taught us to deny all ungodliness. And our understanding of grace is no doubt one of the primary reasons why we are or should be good forgivers because we have uh, experienced grace in our own lives. Grace, in its most simplest definition, is when you get what you don't deserve. When you get what you don't deserve deserve and yet grace it's important to note this although that is the case grace doesn't overlook our sin grace doesn't bat an eye and turn the head in the other direction when we talk about the grace of God scripture plainly tells us in different places of Micah I believe it is in Exodus the Bible says that God will not justify the guilty God will not acquit the guilty he deals or dealt with our sin it's not as though we look say oh that's no big deal no it was a big deal our sin against God was a big deal he dealt with it and we received grace he dealt with it through the the crucifix of the only begotten son at Calvary that's the way all of that was dealt with but to say that he just turned his head the other direction ignored it that's wrong he did not ignore it he focused on it at Calvary and as a result of Calvary then we have the pleasure of grace we have the pleasure of grace. And so we, we got to consider that. Grace deals with then, very, very importantly, grace does deal with our sin by taking him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf. huh? Because had it not been for Calvary, we all say it should have been me hanging on the tree. Yeah, that's right. It should have been us. Amen. But it wasn't. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him speaking of Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, Christ didn't know no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's a little bit of what we referred to last week, how there was this imputation of our sins, this putting on his account our sins, but then the righteousness that he had being imputed, being put on our account. It's like the divine exchange. He took our sins and we were given the privilege of his righteousness to our account. Was he a sinner? No. It was just put on his account. Were we all this in a side of fries? No. But he put righteousness on our account. He saved us. He saved us from the eternal consequences of our sins by suffering for them himself on Calvary, right? Right, the Bible says he took the handwritings, Colossians, of the ordinances that were against us, 
and did what? Nailed them to his tree. Nailed them to history. And so God made him sin. And it's, and it's important uh, to make the distinguishment here that God made Christ, God made Christ sin. He did not make him a sinner. He knew no sin. He didn't commit the sin. But those things that we had done and the, 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 the of course, uh, the consequences along with them, he placed all of that upon Christ. And as a result of making him sin, then he evidently was paid the wages of that sin that the Bible says that the wages of sin is, of course, what? Death. And that's what took place on Calvary in that divine exchange. And so here's the fact of the matter for us, right, as individuals, and we know this, but it's good to rehearse it. No matter how good our good is, no matter how good our good is, Romans 3.23 says we fall short of the glory of God. No matter how good our good is. Now, if we're going to measure good among ourselves, we'd say, oh, that is a whole lot better than this one over here. But no matter, according to human standards, how good you are, it's still short of what he is or what he would even desire for us we fall short of the glory of God amen and so if anyone should extend this grace if anyone should extend the privilege and the gift of forgiveness to another person then it makes sense that those who have been forgiven should know what it feels like to be in need of forgiveness and even if even uh, we, we've, when we've owned our wrong, we understand. And whenever we've benefited by the intervention of God, whenever we experience His grace, all those things should be reasons why that we should be good forgivers, amen, even unto other people. If we can go on this morning, uh, after investigating the forgiveness that we receive from God, you might think, you know what? That's right. I did have to acknowledge my wrong, and I did need His intervention, and I did need His grace. And you might think, man, I'm just going to get on with some more forgiving in my life. When someone does me wrong, I'm like, I forgive you. It's going to just be done. Yet, whenever we're wronged, forgiveness is not usually the first reaction in our life. Mm -hmm. When we've been taken advantage of and someone lied on us and someone said something and someone hurt our feelings, it's usually not, you know what, I think I'm just going to forgive them and get on with my life. That's usually not the case. That's usually not where it's at, even whether it's small or big. Some people get hung up all over some real, what we would maybe consider small offenses. They didn't return my phone call. Right? They didn't text me in, in less than three minutes after I text them. You're all laughing, but sometimes we take very small offenses and we make federal cases out of them. Amen. Even in the servant of our scripture reading today of this parable this man did not just default to forgiveness the one who had received forgiveness he had been forgiven the 10,000 talents that he owed to his Lord and yet he goes and finds one of his fellow servants and begins to call him to reckon and reconcile the, the 100 pence that he owed him his first go-to was not forgiveness just after having been forgiven a very exorbitant amount of money the word forgive in the greek means this it carries the idea of a release from some obligation 
And the obligation typically in Scripture, it could be any obligation, but the Scripture regularly portrays it as a financial commitment in the Bible, such as in this parable, whenever it's wanting to illustrate forgiveness or how to forgive. Whenever you read in our parable this morning that the one man that owed his Lord 10,000 talents and the other one uh, owed his fellow servant 100 pence, we got to look at these in certain terms and you could try to deduce what's the value from, you know, what is it, those 100 talents of silver? Or is it a hundred talents of gold, right? Because it could be either. So we can't do that. But the best thing that we could do is look at about how much time it would take to earn that type of money in biblical days. And so with that being said, a hundred pence or as others say, a hundred denarii, which is a statement of money, a denarius was about one day's wages. A denarius was about one day's wages so a hundred pence or a hundred denarius was about a hundred days wages whenever you bring in all the different festivals and stuff of of the jews and so on and so forth and their sabbaths then it equates to about what the man what the one man owed his fellow servant was about a third of a year's salary a third of a year's salary but whenever we go back and then we look at ten thousand talents and other people have done the math for me, but I've, I've looked at them, that the 10,000 talents with, with doing all the uh, conversions and everything for the denarius and such equals, and this is going to blow our minds just a little bit, to about 200,000 years worth of salary. One's a third of a year. The other one is 200,000 years worth of salary big difference but keep in your mind's mind that the Lord forgave the one of this 10,000 talents and he went out and found someone that owed about a third of a year he said we're not having this I know you say you'll pay but and it's it's humorous I don't know about it humorous but both of them particularly said much the same thing to the one that they owed be patient with me I will repay what I owe for one the one that owed 10,000 talents was barking up a tree he'd never reached the top of there is no way that he was going to be able in his lifetime to repay 200,000 years worth of salary Yet to the one that owes him a third of a year's worth, he's like, no patience, no chance, no opportunity. We're going to put you and your family, we're going to incarcerate you and go on with life. And so this is the matter, though, with forgiveness. Because in the matter of forgiveness, with both of these cases, in, in, in essence, whoever it was, the lender, whoever it may be, whenever there's an offense, both of these gentlemen, the Lord and the fellow servant, they both had a right to be paid, right? They both, someone indeed owed them some money. They had a debt that needed to be taken care of. Both of these individuals had a right. We like our rights, don't we? Had a right. This is owed to me. Had a right to be repaid. And with that, of course, the people that had borrowed, these people that owed the money, they had an obligation. Hmm? An obligation to pay. But the problem was this. There was, a, there was a great deficit 
between what they owed and what they had the resources for to pay. They had the big debt, and yeah, that was their obligation, but they didn't necessarily have the ability to meet the obligation. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because you have a right to be paid. They have an obligation to pay, but they don't have a means to pay you. You're going to incarcerate them? Have to check on them, keep them fed in the jail and so on and so forth? Are you going to do that? Are you going to do that? Or are you going to assume the debt yourself and forgive it? Verse 25 says, but for as much as he had not to pay. The one who owed less said, again, no less than the one who owed more. They did not have it to pay it. Have patience with me. Verses 26 and 29 both. And I will pay thee all. And that means to us then they did not have the resources at that moment in time. Because it's I will. They didn't have the resources at that very moment to take care of their obligation that the one who, who should have been receiving it had the right to. But here's the fact of the matter. Someone always has to pay the obligation. And if the offender can't do it, then the offended must. The obligation has to be dealt with. When we forgive, what we do is we acknowledge that there's been a wrong. We acknowledge that something didn't quite take place. As the one that's been offended, I, and we're good at that. We're good acknowledging the wrong. They did this, they said this, they blah, blah, blah. We're good acknowledging the wrong. We got to acknowledge the wrong. And then we also recognize there's an obligation here. They hurt me. Right? We start exercising our rights. They hurt me. They should do this, this, and this, and this. Oh, God, it's going to get probably sharp today. Or rough like sandpaper, I don't know. But then there's step number three, when we forgive. We acknowledge the wrong. We realize there's an obligation. And then number three, we release the offender and we cover the obligation ourselves through forgiveness. We're good at one and two. Acknowledging the wrong and recognizing there's an obligation. We halt at taking care of the obligation ourselves and forgiving. The first two almost naturally happen. First two almost naturally happen. But then we get in this idea of how much compensation is needed to settle the issue. You know, this is how much they need to grovel and bow. Oh, Lord. Listen, I hear the crickets. It's not from a phone. Let me tell you something. I've been in offices where people that thought they were wronged by somebody else in the church that they were there because they'd been wrong and they felt like they had a right to hear an apology or a sorry from the one that wronged them. But you don't always get or need an apology from the one that wronged you. Sometimes you've got to cover the obligation yourself and just forgive. We cannot, we cannot 
you know, again, taking small things, like we said earlier, unreturned call, text, that whatever, minor offense, you know, get it into some grand, blown out proportion, you know, type of thing. Sometimes being gracious, what helps us to be gracious is realizing this, that we all make mistakes. You'll hold more grace to someone when you understand how much grace you had to receive. Or whenever you view your own life, that some things in your life that only you know about that are out of kelter, you'll be more gracious to people then that publicly wronged you because you know of your private wrongs. We'll hold things toward others less when we realize how much has been released for us. Obligations that we didn't have the ability to pay, per se, that others forgave us of. And so we, we re-struggle sometimes with releasing people from their obligation, whether it be big or whether it be small, because we have some reasonable, and I say reasonable, because the thought processes are very legitimate. We have some reasonable misgivings or doubts about forgiving and one of those misgivings is this how in the world how in the world can i offer forgiveness because if i forgive this individual of xyz whatever it is if i forgive them then it's going to look like i'm denying the seriousness of what they've done that's some of the that's the case see that's the case that we put up if i forgive them then i'm going to be denying the seriousness it's going to act like what they did toward me didn't really matter it didn't really hurt when I want them, we get a little bit of that, you know, bitterness and that wrath and that envy, that getting even thing. Huh? When we want people to hurt just as much as we've been. But we've got to remember the need for forgiveness. Listen, the need, the reason why there is this thing, forgiveness, the need of forgiveness is because there is sin. If, 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 if forgiveness wasn't, if sin wasn't there, there'd be no need for forgiveness. But because there is sin, there is a need. And so in that aspect, forgiveness doesn't deny sin. In reality, it showcases that there was sin. Amen. It doesn't deny the seriousness. It denotes the seriousness that it can't be taken care of any other way. But through Forgiveness. There is something there, what it, what it portrays, amen, even with humanity and God, but with each other as well. It portrays that there's something that the offender can't take care of themselves. It's severe enough that they can't handle it alone. They need some help from the one, and it seems unfair, I know, but from the one that they've offended. And so God's forgiveness to us, listen, again, it wasn't that God had this, well, it's no big deal attitude. It was a big deal to God God doesn't turn away from our sin the Bible says in Psalm 7 and verse 11 God is angry with the wicked every day it says in Psalms 5 and 5 he hates those who do iniquity it's not that God turns away from that but that God addresses sin yes he does and he deals with it and the way that he deals with it he took care of the obligation he made the payment that payment as we learned last week was blood Blood for the forgiveness of sins. Blood for the redemption of humanity. And that was the blood of his only begotten son. That alone should underscore then the seriousness of sin. Because forgiveness came to you because blood was the payment. Something died. 
And so with this mentality, though, sometimes we've almost agreed that, again, someone must apologize or must repent before we offer any forgiveness. That I got to confront them. If they wronged me, maybe they're oblivious. If they wronged me, I got to confront them and let them know how much they hurt me and I'm shooting for a sorry from them before I release them of the wrong that they did against me. Oh, someone say amen. Let me ask you this. Did God, did God wait for you to get prim and proper? No, hold on. What, when did the payment take place? He died for the ungodly. Are you telling me there was a payment of blood before you ever repented? Are you telling me there was a payment of blood before you ever confessed? Now, we'll look at this later. God took care. He he extended forgiveness to all mankind, all sinners. We don't receive it until we've confessed and repented. But it's, it's there for our taking whenever we will make the steps toward it. It's kind of like Old Testament blood that was put on the lintel on the doorpost, right? We talk about whenever the, the blood was put on the lintel on the doorpost, whenever uh, the, the uh, Israelites were about ready to come out of Egypt, right? And that's Passover, the blood on the lintel on the doorpost. And the Bible says when the deaf angel saw the blood, it would pass over him and think, well, there we go. Well, blood being shed from a lamb and put in a basin is one thing. They could say, well, the lamb was slain. The blood's in the basin. That's great. But that wouldn't keep them from the death angel just because it was shed. It had to be applied. Huh? Calvary put the blood in the basin. Through our confession forgiveness, through our confession repentance, that applies the blood. And so though what I'm getting at is this. You don't have to have a sorry before you extend forgiveness to people. Now, they can't receive the forgiveness you extended until they repent of some way. But you can extend it. It doesn't keep you from forgiving. Just because they didn't say, I'm sorry, doesn't keep you from forgiving. Amen. So we get to this mode sometimes that we got we to confront someone. Amen. In order for us to grant forgiveness. Not so. You can grant it without them asking Sorry. Because, see, forgiveness, forgiveness is something that the offended does. Repentance is something the offender does. They, they are independent of one, each other. Amen. They're independent of each other. And so God granted forgiveness to us, again, before we ever acknowledged our wrongs. But we became recipients of what he had already extended from Calvary forward whenever we repented of our sins and became active in our life. It's kind of like this uh, man on our street all the time. I don't know what it is with it, but there's these UPS trucks that go by and these FedEx trucks go by and these Amazon trucks go by. And I thought they were for everybody else till they always drop packages off at my house. They bring them to our porch all the time, lay them down there, and, and, and I could call them and tell them, I didn't get my package. But a lot of them today, you know what they do? As they're backing up or off your sidewalk, they take a, por- they take a picture of, your, of the package that's there on the porch. And so in many regards, the problem isn't that they didn't deliver the package. The problem is I haven't went outside to receive the package yet. 
they can drop the package off without me opening the door. It's just whenever I open the door, it becomes accessible to me. They could stand there all day and say, well, I can't deliver this package because they've not opened the door yet. I'm sorry. I can't can't leave the package because they've not opened the door yet. Stand there all they want to. I'm just going to hold on to this package till they open the door. See, that's how we are with forgiveness. No, they deliver the package, and when we open the door, it's accessible to us. (laughs) Amen. I could check the porch three times a day. I could check the porch three times a day and never get it if they didn't deliver it. All my sorries, all my repentance would be null and void had he not paid the payment. I could check it three times a day if it wasn't delivered. But since it was delivered, when I open the door, it's available. Repentance, again, is the responsibility of the offender. Forgiveness is the responsibility of the offended. And so whenever we go to verse number 35, our text, notice what the Bible says. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. If ye from your hearts forgive. Because forgiveness and and heart and scripture many times in New Testament scripture heart mind all these things are interchangeable but forgiveness from the heart or forgiveness from the head or the mind that indicates for us that we've made a conscious choice we've made a choice independent of other people's actions when you forgive you make a choice independent of the other individual's actions that I choose to do this and there are there are episodes there are episodes where forgiveness has no choice but to be proactive. You can't wait for the sorry. You can't wait for someone groveling and admitting, oh, I hurt you. Because we got to ask ourselves, number one, can you forgive someone? Can you forgive someone, number one, that's unaware that they've even hurt you? You're waiting for someone to say sorry for something that they're not even aware about. Hmm? Are you going to get a sorry from someone that is unmoved by the fact that they have hurt you. Don't feel like they need to. You might be waiting many days to get a sorry, but that doesn't mean you can't forgive them. Are you going to be able to uh, get a sorry from someone maybe that's terminally ill or already died? How would you like to have a sorry from the grave? Because there's people that's in the ground right now that did this tremendously wrong and there was nothing ever taken care of per se. So you're going to hold on to that obligation? Waiting for a sorry from them? It's not happening. What do you got to do? You got to let it go. You got to forgive. You got to forgive. Because all the repentance and the sorries in the world, listen, for some things, let's think about it for a matter all the sorries and all of the, 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 the things in the world will never be enough to cover some of the deficits that's been created with the wrongs that's happened. It's a nice gesture. It might bring some temporary relief to whoever's been offended, but it will not heal all things just because someone said, I'm sorry. I guess what I'm saying is this. A sorry will not get a murdered son back. A sorry will not restore the innocence of a child when it's been taken. The only answer for such type of debts is released through forgiveness. That first man could never pay the 200,000 days worth of salary. Sorry wouldn't cover it. You know what would cover it? 
forgiveness forgiveness and it doesn't deny the seriousness but it should amplify really forgiveness should amplify the seriousness of the matter going on this morning another reason and listen and i'm telling you this morning these are legitimate things that we build in our our lives and i'm not saying that we should overlook them or deny them but we need to consider them some of the reasons why we don't want to forgive people yeah we say it denies the seriousness sin then we look at the person itself it's like if i forgive them they they just kind of got off the hook if i forgive them they, they just kind of got off the hook too easily right what about the pain and suffering Because we get in our minds, and this is, this is a real possibility. If I forgive them, then I'm setting myself up for being abused or taken advantage of again. That's a real possibility. That's a real possibility. But it ne- isn't necessarily a good reason for not to forgive. Oh, Brother McGee. Well, again, let's go back to humanity and God. Do you think for a moment that he thought that you was going to be squeaky all right the rest of your days after he extended forgiveness to you? Not in a million years. That maybe you would do something against him after you've received your forgiveness the first time? Yeah, probably so. But he did it anyway with the mindset knowing, you know what, they're probably going to mess up again. They're probably going to get something wrong again. They're probably going to sin against me again. He did it anyway. Amen. And so there is the real possibility that someone take advantage of you again. Maybe in a very similar way that they did the first time. Amen. And so we have legitimate concern. Peter was perhaps concerned about a similar thing uh, just prior to this parable in Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22. The Bible says, Then Peter came to him, came to the Lord, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? I think Peter was a little concerned about this too. Till seven times, which from my understanding of Jewish customs, he was being very generous with his seven times because Jewish, like Talmud and customs, was like, if you can forgive a man three times on the fourth time, you don't forgive him. So Peter's really being really generous. What, what he's saying in the Bible says in verse 22, then Jesus said to him, I say unto thee until seven times, not I say unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And of course, everybody gets out their pencil and calculates 400 and, you know. It wasn't a definitive number that he was getting at, right? He was getting at the fact that if you put lines in the sand, someone's always going to step over them. It's kind of like also in the other parable where the one asked, said, Lord, well, who is my neighbor? And the parable comes about about the Samaritan and the Levite and the priest and all that. What's he saying? Because that man was wanting to know, show me where the line is so I know how far to go. But whenever you make a line, someone's going someone's to transgress it. Someone's going to fall over it. Amen. And so forgiveness should, should inspire change. Yes, it should. And, but it also legitimately could, could promote some further abuse in our lives. The Bible says, Romans 5 and verse number 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, and this is the reason why we believe that it could happen again, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And so just as much sin was there, grace comes to match that, and we set ourselves up for maybe more sin. But then grace comes to match it again. 
Only those who misunderstand forgiveness and grace will truly use forgiveness as, or grace as a free get-out-of-jail card. Right? Like, you give me my forgiveness, yeah, everything's clear, I can go do what I want to do. Or you give me grace and I just do whatever I want to do in life. People that have a misunderstanding of grace and forgiveness do those type of things and use his grace and his forgiveness as them being able to do whatever they want to do. But Paul asked later, or earlier, later rather, in chapter 6 and verse 15, Paul asked, he said, Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And Paul answers his own question. God forbid. So this is not what this is to be used for, for further abuse. This is what, not what this grace and mercy and forgiveness is to be used for, for you to go off and say, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. He's always going to forgive me, always going to be gracious toward me. No, 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 no. So that's not what it's to be used for. He said, God forbid that we would. He said it's to be used to be taken care of an obligation that we couldn't take care of ourselves. So although a person has been forgiven, so you got, they got too easily off the hook, remember this, although a person may have been forgiven, it does not erase the immediate consequences that they may suffer due to their sin. Calvary takes care of the eternal consequences. But there's things that happen in this life that you will, in spite of someone forgiving you, there's consequences that come with your choices and your reactions. Charles Swindoll said it one time like this. He said, if a man went out in life and he'd sinned and did all these type of things and he broke his arm in the process of doing them and he got God's forgiveness, he said he's still going to have to deal with his broken arm even after having been forgiven. You'll be saved from the eternal consequences, but there may be some immediate consequences. You say, well, I'm letting them off the hook. Yeah, in some regards, but there's still some things that they're going to contend with. And what we do sometimes, like, we want revenge. <laughs> maniacal and I want revenge and I want vengeance right but whenever you're talking about vengeance it's you're wanting to see another person suffer for what they've done to you and we remember in the New Testament scripture the Lord said vengeance is mine saith the Lord I will repay and he always pays with justice it's the payment that's sought on the behalf of another and so whenever we talk about well if I forgive them then it's just off the hook no if you and there are some real matters listen in life that takes place you can forgive someone like for instance murder or or sexual abuse or all these different things that can take place that's in our world today you can forgive someone that has transgressed in that area but whenever you turn them over to the government the government has every right to exercise justice and they can live out consequences for what they've done though they've been forgiven by you all right all right. Robert Jeffers said, consequences are God's way of maintaining order in society, encouraging obedience in others, and discouraging us from further disobedience. A case in point of Old Testament Scripture, we're by far not getting through this lesson today, but that's okay. You'll forgive me. No, I'm joking. Second uh, Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 13. The story that we're entering here is the story of David, right? He sins with Bathsheba. He kills her husband, has her husband killed. He sets all of that up, right? He's going on with life. As a matter of fact, evidently about nine months or so have passed because the child is born in this time frame. And so, of 
course, if it was with Bathsheba, that's when conception took place. So we're about nine months out then when the prophet Nathan comes to him, tells him the parable and the story and comes to the conclusion and tells him that thou art the man, you're the one that has done the, the very same similar thing in the parable that I've just told you. And in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 12, the Bible says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. The Lord's, the Lord's going to release you of this obligation. Forgiveness. Verse 14, how be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Not only that, if you read this chapter, we read how Nathan told David, the sword shall never depart from your family. We read in this chapter concerning David that David, your concubines that you have, one day someone will lay with them. You laid with another man's wife. There's going to be someone that's going to lay with your concubine someday out in public on a roof. What is all of that? I mean, God, you could God, couldn't you have taken care of all that? Yeah. But there's consequences, though he had been forgiven. The child's going to die. The sword's not going to depart from his family. Several of his sons, Absalom, huh? Different ones, four different ones, die. And also, Absalom, his son, does lay with his father's concubines on top of the roof in the publicity of all everyone to see. All that gets backed up to this scenario with Bathsheba and Uriah. And whenever you really think about it, these things that happen, these consequences that play out in David's life, really almost mirror the fact that David is reaping a harvest in kind or similar to what he planted. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6, for, for whatsoever a man soweth, everybody say that, that shall he also reap. David took Uriah's life through his scheme and plan. The sword's not going to depart from David's family. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. His own son is going to lay with his other wives and have sexual relations. It's almost as though what he sowed, that, in consequence form, he also reaped. Amen. So it's not like getting off the hook. I know emotionally, right? It really seems like that. I'm not going to do this. They're, get, they're getting off easy. But listen, although you might have no part in it, the consequences of life of reaping and sowing in the law of the harvest will take care of it all in itself. If it's not government, it'll be God. It'll, it'll take care of it all in itself. And let me tell you this. Whenever you see that taking place then in whoever it was that wronged you, it won't feel near as good to you as you thought it would. When you've truly exercised forgiveness, it won't feel near as good to you. You know, some people are like, well, see, I told you so. Yeah, they're just getting what they deserve. If you have a true heart of forgiveness when it actually happens, it's not going to feel near as pleasurable as you think it will. Stand with me today. I guess I've been up here sufficiently.
We still have some other things to look at, though, that we come to build up, cases that we build up in our lives whenever forgiveness. And we'll start off next week talking about some reasons why we don't want to forgive because we believe it places too much responsibility on us, the ones that's been offended. I'm the one that was taken advantage of. Why Why should it be expected me to do this when I'm the one, right? feels like just too much responsibility for a victim. So we'll look at that, amen, next week. And that's a legitimate mind frame that comes upon us. Man, it's like quagmire in it. It's deep stuff, amen. But it's something that we deal with from day to day, great and small, constantly. And let me tell you this, it'd be very freeing that if you have any grudges in your life, hurts that have longed that you've nurtured that you've not released, and evidently you're not going to get a sorry for be a good time to release that obligation and we'll get into this later you think you're holding them accountable for something but you know what's happening you've made yourself prisoner you've made yourself prisoner to a wrong to obligation that you're never going to see paid that if you just take care of yourself you're going to get a release in your life people mull it over and think about it and relive it you are in prison think about the whole scenario all again what he said what she said don't be incarcerated by that set free by just taking care of the obligation can we bow our heads today Father? thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.